Adam, before we get into today's episode, let's just uh, take a moment here to say the episode of Trek that we're reviewing today deals with the issue of suicide. And uh, we just want to say, like, we're going to do a real episode of Greatest Gen here, but uh, suicide is uh, not something we take lightly. And we want folks out there to know that if that's something that they're struggling with, uh, that's going to be part of this episode. And if you are struggling with it imminently, uh, we would highly recommend you reach out to the folks at the National Suicide Prevention Hotline, which is 800 800- Two seven three eight two five five. The hotline is available twenty four hours a day, and it's totally confidential. And uh, if you're feeling some feelings in that area, both Ben and I would definitely recommend you give them a call. You know, you're really valuable. And uh, the thing that uh, that tells people that suicide is an idea is a uh, part of a disease, and uh, you should uh, not listen to that disease. And as somebody who's had those feelings in the past, uh, don't feel ashamed to reach out for help because that's what these people are there for. It's 800-273-8255. Now let's get on with the show. Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to The Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Hey, Adam, guess what? I got a package here from, uh, I'm going to guess, Germany? Uh, Boy, this is a setup for a really awful joke, Ben, but how can you tell the packages from Germany? (laughs) (laughs) Scheisen packaging. (laughs) It's been pounded very thin, breaded, and fried. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, that was yeah, just a I, wiffle ball of a setup. I don't know for sure if it's from Germany or not. It's from Angela. And uh, I'm just saying, the, the like, the stuff on here that says where it's, what country it's from is in a, in a tongue I don't understand. But uh, I'm going to cut it open and see what it is. This, this actually came in, like... I think like a day or two before we left for our tour, so I hope it's not perishable. Mm. <laughs> okay, Adam, I've uh, I've opened the box. Got a letter here. It says, Hi, Ben and Adam. I've been a faithful viewer of your pod pretty much since it started. It's brought me lots of laughter, and on one occasion caused me, caused me to think that my car was breaking down <laughs> due to Adam re- recording using a bad mic or something. <laughs> oh. Oh. Your pod came into my life at a rough time right after my wife passed away, and finding reasons to smile and laugh helped me get through that. Your jokes, but also hearing how much fun you guys must have when recording this, has been a part of that. As a thank you, I'm sending some stuff. Uh, wow. Being that, you, being that you recently ran out of cards, maybe you might enjoy this. There are no packs to open. I already did that several years ago, but there are lots of cards. Also, I'm including some Swedish candy. Oh, it's not Germany after all. (laughs) Some Swedish candy that is not relevant to the show in any way, but having listened to you reviewing six-plus seasons of TNG, I know you're not above getting off topic from time to time. Keep the fun coming. Uh, Oh, man, I may have been mispronouncing this. Angelin. Mayquees? It's A-E-N-G-E-L-N. How would you pronounce that? Anglin? 
Angelin? Megwees? I don't know. <laughs> God, I feel like a real idiot now. This is going to be one of those episodes where it's really tempting to edit out what a big fat idiot I am, but I think I think I can't do it. I, I think the people need to know. Well, Adam, we've got a lot of stuff in here. There's something called Not Creme Original, and they're kind of like ketchup packet type things with some sort of goopy stuff in them. I hate it when I go through the effort and get Not Creme. <laughs> we've got something called Original Salta Patroner, which uh, I'm going to guess is a licorice. Yeah? Uh, <laughs> it's got kind of a, uh, like a warning label art direction to it, like a like a police line do not cross type art direction. So ben, either... I, have a, I have a request. Would you mind doing, a, uh, doing an impromptu taste test of these things on okay. mic? I will do an impromptu taste test of one of these things. I'm going to tell you two more of them, and you okay. can... And you can pick which one you want me to taste the most. Uh, we've, of course, got some Bilar, some Algrin's Bilar's Vergis Mescoptabil original, uh, which Oh, I'm glad like... you got the original, because the, yeah. uh, the diet is terrible. <laughs> yeah. It's got, like, pink, white, and greenish, um, like, car-shaped marshmallows or something. <laughs> uh, and then, of course... We've got Cloetta Kex Chocolad. Uh, and what does and that look like? It's a it's more of a chocolate bar looking format, kind of like a uh, like a Hershey bar type shape, like a like a broad and thin mm. bar, and it's got either a wafer or honeycomb implication in the <laughs> in the font. Honeycomb implication sounds so serious. Ben, my vote's the Bilar uh, for marshmallow reasons. Okay. That's the one I'm least terrified to taste. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> I th- maybe just for stunts, I'll try the nut creme also. Yeah. All right. Oh, these are not... <laughs> Bilar are not... Um, they're not marshmallows. They're like... Um, they're like gummy candies that are surrounded with some sort of candy coating <laughs> oh pretty good a thin candy shell if you will it's not it's not a shell as such it's like a, it's a softer coating than that mm. but uh they taste they taste real nice mm. um oh man oh my god adam i just uh got to the bottom of this box and there's a tin a tin at the bottom of this box that looks to be the mother load of Star Trek CCG uh, collectible card game. Decks. Oh man! Oh man! <laughs> this is bonkers. <laughs> oh, there's so many of them. We met a really cool dude at one of our shows that handed us a couple of custom Jim Shimoda. Uh, cards for this game. There is a group yeah. called the Continuing Committee uh, at Star Trek CC dot org that continues to make cards for that game. And uh, this person mentioned that they make cards. They have started making cards based on our show, like things that our show has called attention to. And one of them was Jim Shimoda. Where to be faithful to you, Captain? That's so great. Yeah, man, Adam, I. 
I'm going to guess that there are like several hundred new additions to our collection of, of cards here. Uh, these look to be Silver Border, which um, somebody told us that's a, that's a significant thing. Like there's different editions of the game and you can tell by the, the border on the cards. Mm. Um, but man... If 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 there wasn't so much randomness involved, I'd really be uh, threatening you big time about the uh, the next uh, Star Trek card game war we have. <laughs> Love that game. It's a big hit, okay. Ben. All right. Should I try some not creme? Yeah. All try right. that not creme. I've been trying it for years. Do you think that you're supposed to like spread this on something? Well, what do you have to spread it on, Ben? All I have here is some some more John beer. <laughs> Stick it in a Kong. Give it to Darwin. Mmm. <laughs> Not creme. Um, reminds me a lot of Nutella. Oh, okay. It's got a little bit more of a uh, more of a mouthfeel than, than <laughs> Nutella. It's like a, it's it's a little little gritty. Like the the nuts haven't been entirely pulverized. Oh, it's for Nutella people who like chunky peanut butter. Yeah. I kind of like not creme. <laughs> Hence, not creme. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, thanks so much for those gifts. The gifts of food. The gifts of non-spoilable food, specifically. Yeah, thank you for not sending something that was going to rot in the box in my apartment. <laughs> well, uh, one thing that may have spoiled before we got to it, Ben, is uh, the episode we're going to review today. It's really one of those season seven eps, I think. It's season seven, <laughs> episode 18, Eye of the Beholder. This is becoming a speech. You're the captain, sir. You're entitled. Hmm. Not entitled to ramble on about something everyone knows. Now, Adam, this episode is uh, one of those exciting cold opens that we really love. Like, the camera fades up on, like, one of the panels that goes red when there's a red alert, and we pull out to... The bridge, and we are losing containment in the starboard nacelle too. There is a major warp emergency, and they are they are preparing to eject the core. The, that's how that's how ill it has gotten. Yeah, things seem super fraught, and we get our first look at a brand new playset bin, <laughs> the interior of the warp nacelle playset. Yeah, you get to see Riker and Worf like climbing up up a, a ladder in the Jeffrey's tubes and they go into the room from which the the nacelle is administered I guess this workplace is not ADA compliant because it every time anyone enters this scene they have to do it through the tube and up the ladder right yeah it must have been grandfathered in it was built before <laughs> the uh, the code was passed <laughs> right it's a neat scene that doesn't quite show the depth of the nacelle, right? The idea of seeing inside of it is amazing. <laughs> but Ben, I wish it looked longer. <laughs> if Frakes had directed this episode, he would have managed to make it look very long. <laughs> very long indeed, Adam. <laughs> yeah, the uh, there's like a, a door up a ladder. And uh, when they come in, there's a woman with some, some loaf working down uh, down on the ground floor. And then up on a catwalk, uh, looking out of a 
kind of a garage door that looks into a deeper space. The inner nacelle is uh, an ensign, and um, he's like in a state, you know. Riker gets up on there, and he's like, hey, man, like... Whatever happened, we can talk about it. I want to help. And he is like, he is totally in a fugue. Like, he doesn't know where he is or what's going on. I know what I have to do. And uh, Riker is doing his best to to talk talk him out of it. Riker's like, uh, I don't have the words, but I think this CD does. And he puts in Third Eye Blind's jumper. (laughs) (laughs) And then just sort of like lays back in the cut, like letting the song play for the whole scene. Mm -hmm. He does the like, I'm I'm looking at you, looking at me, looking at you with his fingers. (laughs) He's like, huh? 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 Yeah. Uh, This is great songwriting. (laughs) You should stop doing crystal meth, dude. This is as good as Third Eye Blind got. I mean, a lot of people prefer the subsequent album, but uh, for me, it will always be this release. This episode probably came out fairly concurrent with that song being a big hit. Yeah. Probably on the minds of the writers. Yeah. But he jumps, and he jumps into, like, the nexus of plasma that is being injected into the nacelle and uh it like vaporizes him instantly and it really puts Riker on his ass like to have been witness to it he is devastated and it made me wonder how many how many suicides on screen we've gotten in this show i feel like someone has turned a phaser on themselves before But But not in a Starfleet uniform. That's what I'm saying. And so to see a member of the crew do this was horrifying. Yeah, he he like slams his hand against the wall and... So often the wall is what Riker needs to get through an emotional time. And here he is lashing out at said wall. How many times has that wall been there for you, Riker? (laughs) You can tell he's upset because he's taking it out on the wall. (laughs) What's up with all these, like, junior-level loaf officers getting stuck up in the cell? Like, oh, you've got a one-off loaf? Uh, we're going to need you in the most remote part of the ship. Daniel Kwan has basically a a serving platter of loaf. <laughs> like, it's very simple. It's just the the curvature of a platter on his forehead. Yeah, but his boss has, like, I don't know, like a heat sink from a microprocessor on her face i thought his boss looked like she had cow nose loaf cow nose loaf no way yeah she has sort of a cow nose like it all gathers in the nose it made me wonder if her tongue felt very sandpapery when she licks you (laughs) as bosses go uh they don't come any more docile than uh than lieutenant nara yeah. You just lead her to her station and then lead her back home. You can uh you can get out of any shift if you bring your collie with you. <laughs> so dumb. <laughs> so we we uh we come back from the opening title sequence and Picard has gathered like Worf and Troy and Riker in his office to talk about what just went down. And uh, he kind of puts them onto 
onto an investigation. He says, like, I would like to be able to offer Lieutenant Quan's parents some explanation of what happened. There's only so many satisfying things you can tell somebody about somebody taking their own life. Like, it is ultimately, like, a really, like, it's an act that uh, defies explanation. But I want to be able to, like, give them a picture of what he was going through. Like, obviously, this dude was in a bad way, and we as a crew kind of neglected that. You know, nobody was picking up on the signs. So, like, let's look into it. Let's see what we missed. Picard's been talking to a lot of parents lately about the deaths of his crew people. Yeah. Made me wonder, like, is has he worked his way through the entire Borgs list? <laughs> Everybody or, from Wolf 359. Hey, he, listen. <laughs> he gives himself 20 a day. That's really emotionally <laughs> all he can handle. It's like a representative at the house calling for <laughs> donations all day every day computer how many more on the list 37 million <laughs> you will complete your calls in 2000 years meanwhile data and Jordy are like hanging out in engineering talking about it and uh like data confesses to Jordy that he once contemplated turning himself off and it's like yeah data we know we've seen seven seasons of the show Data's puberty story, which is what I thought this was, is Wesley asking why anyone would want to use drugs. Like, this is that scene all over again. Data's like, during my awkward prepubescence, my my pubes weren't growing in properly, and my voice was all (laughs) cracky, and, like, my, my... positronic net was forming in a weird way and i thought about just quitting altogether it would have been easier i'd seen my father's penis <laughs> when his robe flopped open and my <laughs> penis didn't look like that so i was quite concerned that i would never be able to satisfy a woman that open robe dr soong <laughs> come on man double knot that robe <laughs> um i thought that this scene was maybe the most awful thing in the episode because they give like you're right it's that it's wesley asking why would somebody do drugs but it's also like data saying like i arrived at the conclusion that i should treat these things as challenges to overcome rather than obstacles and that's great for you data but like you don't have emotional diseases in android world like (laughs) like depression is a real thing that really convinces people to commit suicide like and it's not as easy as just talking your way out of it sometimes right because without emotions all those are our challenges like yeah they were never anything besides challenges to data so there is no emotional gravity to that and so in terminating his life that is the end of a life and that is bad, but it's it does not seem like it has the equivalence that he assumes that it does. Jordy's response really like reinforces this idea, which he says that's a great way to look at it, Data. And it's like, no, it's not. Like sometimes you actually need medication to co- overcome those feelings. Like that's that's a real thing. As if Jordy is a person who hasn't suffered from some form of depression throughout the series. I'm no armchair psychoanalyst, but, like, Jordy's got some problems. <laughs> oh, word? Like, I don't think he knows what he's talking about. No, Adam, he doesn't. 
Neither of them do, which is why this scene in the episode rings as so transparently preachy. You know? Yeah. Orphan Troy go to Lieutenant Kwan's apartment, and uh, I thought this was a great bit of art direction because, like, his apartment really has an aesthetic. Like, yeah, like he has, he totally has a style as a as a person, and you can see it in the things that are that are in there. And like, they talk about how he's part uh, Nurian. He's like part some other kind of alien. <laughs> I think uh, Worf really respects his chair game. Because he has a chair that looks profoundly hostile to yeah. sit in. I feel like Worf took a look at that thing and was like, yeah, I think I think I could have been buds with this guy. It's too bad. That thing's spiky as hell. Chair game, recognized chair game. And they're talking like, you know, this, this dude did something pretty unthinkable. And so he must have been in uh, an unimaginable amount of pain. Uh, let's take a look around. They find a picture of his girlfriend, Ensign Calloway. That's who Calloway. And uh, she's a medical technician in Six Bay. And uh, they're like, well, damn, like he had a girl, like he was, he's this young officer with all this, all this uh, potential. Nobody saw this coming. Maybe we should look into his personal logs. And so they, they fire it up. And his his last entry is like him, like grinning into the camera saying like, After pulling two double shifts in a row. I'm really looking forward to spending some time with Maddie. Can you imagine recording something like that? I guess this is kind of what people do with YouTube, actually. He's like vlogging for himself. When you join the Federation, I wonder if there is an encouragement to document your life because lives are worth documentation and, you know, you are going to do important and amazing things throughout your career, things that people are going to want to study and learn from. I wonder if there is any of that baked into a career or if this is like what Twitter is now, where this is just really a thing that people do because it's it's zeitgeisty and people do a personal log and that's, this is, this is his Twitter, you know? Yeah. It'd be funny if you could see the like little, little uh, fountain of hearts <laughs> popping up in the corner as people <laughs> like it yeah. as it goes out live on Periscope. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you get the sense in this case, the personal log is protected and that you need special permission to access them the way that, that Troy and Worf have. Well, maybe it's like what my wife does, which is she has an Instagram, but she, you know, you have to like request access to follow her. Hmm. Well, I, I keep mine the same way, so I'm not going to hate on that. Well, there you go. There's a perfect example, Adam. <laughs> they go down to Six Bay, and they talk to Ensign Calloway, who's like, you know, just like, she's just as gobsmacked about this as anybody else. She's like, like I can't even imagine having to go put in a, a shift at work after your boyfriend jumps into a plasma stream. And uh, she's like, yeah, like, hey, can you take five from your job and talk to me about this? That is a feeling that I have had. I worked in an office space where uh, our boss died in the parking lot of a heart attack. Jeez. Like, like the morning of work one day. And wow. it was it was awful. Awful in the ways that you would expect to be awful, but also like... In the practical sense of like, <laughs> our work doesn't mean shit. Like, what are we supposed to do actually? You know? Yeah. Do you work? Do you uh, specifically not work and just 
be with people? How long, how long do you not work and be with people? Is it okay if you just want to work instead and like deal with it later? Like it was such a mixture of reaction and intimacy with workplace people in a way that up until then was like, you know, workplace pals. You have your workplace pals and you talk about the ball game and like there's like a, a limit to how yeah. exposed you are to people emotionally, but for that to we all happen, go out and get salads sometimes. Sure. Like, yeah, we're not like hanging out. But to do that at work and to be to suddenly turn into a real and complete emotional person at work uh, together yeah. was a profoundly emotional thing. And uh, to answer the point that you've made, I don't know how. I don't know how you go back to work after something like this. I, and especially after I did have to go back to work after something like this. I don't know how you do it. I guess you just do. It is a guiding principle of a dark reading face. And you can't find it within yourself to stand up and tell the truth. You don't deserve to wear that uniform. Adam, I, uh, I clicked this, uh, this actress's thing on, uh, on the x-ray. Uh, Ensign Calloway is played by Joanna McCloy. There are four things that she is known for <laughs> on this. Is one of the craziest lists of things I've ever seen. She's known for Star Trek The Next Generation, uh, Mad TV in 1995. Apparently she was on Mad TV. Whoa. Uh, a thing from 2017 called Generations. And something called I Killed My Lesbian Wife hung her on a meat hook, and now I have a three-picture deal at Disney, 1993. Wow. <laughs> what is that? So, like, around the same time as this? What do you call that movie for short? Like, like what's the industry name for that movie? Like the, uh, oh, do you watch Curb? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I got to go, uh, go back to meat hook. Uh, we're not through shooting. <laughs> Wow, what a broad career. Holy shit. Adam, this is the title of a short film director, Ben Affleck. Uh, of the Affleck Afflecks? Yeah, Ben Affleck, Ben Affleck, specifically. Whoa. Holy shit. I've got to find this movie. <laughs> All I'm thinking about now is that scene from the Duncan sketch where Casey <laughs> throws his coffee at the windshield in that car. Best part of my day is when I'm at Duncan. You think that's sad? <laughs> <laughs> that is Bonkers Bananas. I can't believe that that is a thing that exists in the world. Can you say the title of that film in the Boston accent? <laughs> I killed my lesbian wife, hung her on a meat hook, now I have a three-picture deal at Disney. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Moving on. Well, Adam, Adam, what were we here to do today? I get like I feel like the the fact that that exists and I just found that out has erased my brain. Well, Ben, there's a death investigation, and uh, two cops are on on the scene. It's Officer Troy and Sergeant Worf. <laughs> yeah. It's a real buddy cop drama. 
uh, Troy goes down to the nacelle and she's like, "Hey, you're the uh, you're the lady with the rough tongue." Anyways, uh, <laughs> let me just. Uh, I got th- I got this carrot. You want this carrot? <laughs> oh, you slobbered all over my uh, hand. Isn't that just cute? Oh, but uh, it, it feels so scratchy. <laughs> <laughs> she climbs up the uh, up the ladder to the catwalk that uh, that Lieutenant Kwan jumped off of, and um, she's up there and she gets a a personal banger dropped on her, and uh, she's like totally overwhelmed, and she like almost stumbles back over the over the uh, guardrail and like we smash cut to to six bay and like Worf and Riker and Dr. Beverly are there and she's like yeah that shit was crazy I like walked up to the door he jumped through and I was like feeling all of these terrifying and negative feelings but th- they weren't really coming from anybody in particular they were just like there in the room everyone makes sure to tell her how her powers work they're like, now, Deanna, you aren't able to detect emotions from people unless they're there. So I don't know what you think this is, but it appears that uh, like whatever emotional serotonin levels are in you, like like those are just off the charts. Yeah, they they really have the need to empath explain to her how, uh, <laughs> how how these things work. And so... She's like advised by the doctor, like your psilocybin levels are really high. So, so like let's knock it off with going down to the nacelle for a little while, and uh, we'll uh, we'll sort it out when when you've gotten back to normal. Maybe you got you and uh, and Worf can go down there together and uh, and look into it. Yeah, they keep getting paired off. This yeah. Worf and Troy thing. This is like the kind of. I'm going to say like the 15 minute mark of the episode. And this is where Troy's upper lip starts looking real weird. Do you notice this, Adam? I also noticed this. Remember when Brent Spiner fell and chopped up his chin and they had to like make up him back together for that one F? Like I wonder <laughs> oh, if she yeah. fell down or or like otherwise hurt herself. Yeah, maybe, uh, maybe Michael Dorn threw an elbow accidentally. <laughs> you know how he does. Yeah, but uh, to answer your question, I I definitely noticed the the rest the rest of this episode is largely just kind of like investigation, investigation, investigation. Somebody saying you need to wait, you know, sixteen to twenty four hours before doing something. Like, there's all these like little excuses of like of like time introduced. Like, oh, it's going to take me sixteen hours to synthesize a uh, like a a thing that suppresses your your em- empathic abilities or you need to wait four to five hours to let the like levels of your neurotransmitters go back to normal and so like in in those downtimes, uh troy and Worf wind up kind of like spending a lot of time together and they're getting closer and closer and uh they're they're hanging out in our quarters at one point and Worf like takes her by the hand and kind of brings her in close and he goes for the neck kiss as the first kiss <laughs> what a weird choice that is so aggro man when he takes her hand i expected her to squeeze it until blood came out because <laughs> you know that's his way too right that is kind of his thing um i just tried to do like the thought experiment of like 
Thinking about the first time I kissed my wife, what might she have thought of me if I had gone for neck as the, as the opening as the opening kiss before going for mouth? <laughs> like I think I, she would have probably like kneed me in the balls and never talked to me again. <laughs> I don't see how the the reflex response isn't like raise the shoulders. Like what are you doing? <laughs> what the hell? Get away from me. There's a tension up until this moment in the episode that is real and interesting to me. The idea of, like, having a work wife or a work husband. Like, this is a thing. This is mm-hmm. a thing that I've felt before. Like, that good platonic friendship that you get from just, like, being in the shit with someone. Like, yeah. day in and day out. But there is something a little bit more here. And <laughs> that wharf decides to explore that feeling through the neck <laughs> is so bold. And not only that, like, they fucking do it. Yeah. Like, he sticks around. He does not leave the condo. No, he He waits for breakfast breakfast the next next (laughs) morning. They totally bang. I wonder what Klingon breakfast is. Delicious. (laughs) And how disgusting Deanna Troy, noted sweet tooth, finds Klingon breakfast. Given what what eggs we know Worf likes. (laughs) Ugh. Yeah, there's a pretty a pretty fun scene in Ten Forward, like a little bit before this, where Riker's like clearly on a date with somebody, and Worf is just drinking alone, and Riker comes back to the bar to get like a another round, and Worf is like, "Hey, listen, like just theoretically, is there anybody on the ship that ship that you definitely don't want me to fuck?" <laughs> and Riker's like, "What are you talking about, man?" And he's like, "No, like I'm just saying, like like I would never." Fuck somebody that you're trying to fuck. <laughs> but also, like, if you had fucked them previously, I would also have weird feelings about going in after you. I don't want us to have that kind of relationship. Anyways, um, all this human emotion management shit really doesn't work for me, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get out of here. But uh, sorry I even brought it up. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> this scene is so much fun. Both because Riker is rocking like the lime green open V like flamenco guitar shirt. Yeah, like Riker is rocking a shirt that if he leans over at all, you can catch some titty. Yeah. <laughs> and also his posture during this entire scene, he's doing some great physical acting here. Yeah. In only he's the like, way that Freaks can do. Get a load of some titty, Worf. <laughs> He's a, he's a little bit act buzz here too. Like <laughs> like he's his eyes are sort of floaty and he and he himself is kind of floaty. Yeah, he's the, very much off duty. Yeah. yeah like Worf God. is in uniform and Riker is not and Riker is leaning into how how not in uniform he is. Why are there not 40 different versions of the off duty Will Riker action figure? Cuz I would collect all of those. <laughs> Just deeper like, and deeper V's. I feel like bumping into somebody on a date at a at a place, like you don't lay a an emotional <laughs> conversation on them like this when you catch them by themselves, you know? Yeah. Like, oh, I was down at the bar and my buddy was there on a date. Anyways, I asked him like a really heavy question. It's not a good look, Worf. No, not really. But uh, but Riker doesn't mind. He's totally amused by this. My love is a peep of longing tail for that which longer nurses the disease. Tell me more. You'll have to go again. 
back in investigation storyline, Worf and Troy go back to the nacelle, and she goes back up to to like the place where it feels the baddest, and she gets a vision. She's like seeing like a like a like a woman in a in an engineering work suit being terrified. She sees the rubber soul vision of uh, of uh, Drake from from aliens man you look just like i feel she sees like uh like the woman and another dude making out and then like turning and seeing that she's watching them and laughing at them it's weird that like all of these scenes that she sees are not of something terrifying but they are terrifying in terms of music and composition taken separately there's not a lot there but taken all together there's a heavy emotional banger and uh, she, she like turns around and and like suddenly the nacelle is not the nacelle uh the the functional nacelle anymore it's like mid construction nacelle and uh there's like you know bales of wire and like tubing and and like construction debris and she sees a lunch pail with utopia planitia written on it nice to see see that the stanley company still exists making those great coffee things with the little yeah. cup on top <laughs> a little thermos, yeah, a little work yeah. thermos. They're the only capitalist enterprise still operating in the 24th century. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, she's like stumbling around this work site and uh, she like bumps into Worf and um, and he's like, what the hell was happening? And she's like, oh, like I just had like a vision of people laughing at me because I wasn't making out with them. They're doing that form of laughter that is the cruel kind. Yeah. Like, and you can tell. Yeah. You can tell when you see someone who is laughing when they are laughing at you versus laughing at a thing. It's that, uh, it's that feeling I had when I uh, pointed out there was a fire on that hillside and that maybe we should call the fire department. <laughs> Not a good feeling. There's nothing funny about fires on the plane, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. That may never be funny to anybody but me, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> um the uh but she she's got some faces to look into. So she does this computer search where she's got like the people that worked on building the entrepreneur at Utopia Planitia and the people that have served on the entrepreneur. And so she's like looking at uh bios and she finds Private Drake among them. This search is insane to me. Ben, we know from experience that Deanna Troy is like an expert in terms of 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 like the sort of research into uh, into lineage, into family records. She's great at, at uh, <laughs> she's great at ancestry dot com. And she mentions to Worf like, God, there's just so many people who work at Utopia Planitia, and I'm looking for this guy, and I can't seem to find him. And she's clearly like. She's narrowed the search down to Utopia Planitia, but she didn't limit it to gender. So she's like <laughs> cruising through male and female returns on her search. Like she doesn't think to reduce it to the one search parameter that could cut out half of of the results. Come on, Troy. Also, get with this it. is a small town, you know? There's a thousand people on the yeah. ship. What are the chances she doesn't know exactly this dude? She's seen him before. Yeah. She's seen him leering at her from across 10 forward while she plows through a uh, chocolate mousse or something. She's seen him lurking in the ship's laundromat. Honey, 
Oh, Cruising. <laughs> just seen him using that steady cam rig to hold his uh, his heavy machine gun <laughs> as he goes through the uh, the uh, terraforming installation on LV four two six. Ben, when you're Boggs from Shawshank Redemption, <laughs> is all of your laundry just different colored handkerchiefs? Like, <laughs> do you have to wash them all separately? No, I don't know how it works when you're Boggs from Shawshank Redemption, Adam. <laughs> I'll tell you what it's like when you're Boggs from Shawshank Redemption. You get typecast as creepy face guy. Yeah. He has resting creepy face. Yeah. Mark Ralston doing the heavy lifting with his face. Yeah. But he hangs out with that Latina uh, Marine who's like, who's like, you know. Vasquez. Yeah, Vasquez. She's, she's, she's kissed him into the, into the group. Otherwise, people wouldn't sure. like Private Drake, but Vasquez sticks yeah. up for him. Drake dies great. So does Vasquez. Like, they all die great. Yeah. They die heroes. Except for Burke. <laughs> Fuck you, Burke. Yeah. <laughs> the evil space Jew. This installation has a substantial dollar value attached to it. <laughs> <laughs> it's the most fucking anti-Semitic movie in the world. <laughs> Everybody knows that the uh, that the future is a uh, a grim and capitalist uh, place, but what my movie presupposes is maybe Jews run everything. How do you turn Waylon Utani into Waylon Steen? Utanovitz. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man. <laughs> That is that is the dumbest, cheapest laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me you wouldn't wear that shirt, though, Wayland, Ben. Waylonstein Utanovitz. Well, you get to decide if we keep that one in the app. Uh... I mean, like, we, we'll probably get shit for that the same way we get shit for Picard and Wesley jokes. It's like sure. we're making fun of something being anti-Semitic, not being anti-Semitic. Right. There is a huge difference there. Yeah. I am the cutest of all. There are four lights. Worf and Troy have their little fuck fest, and uh, the doctor brings Troy down to Six Bay for some new inhibitors that are going to turn off her emotional... Uh, her emotional abilities so that she can go into the nacelle without concerns of being swept away into this like alternate reality she keeps disappearing into and uh, she goes down there and she's like she's trying to kind of like a b what she sees like what what does this look like in comparison to what i saw in my vision and um notably Worf has uh not been able to accompany her uh, because there's some, they're like transporting some medical shit and security something something something. So, <laughs> so she's down there and like they're they're poking around and that she like points at a panel and she's like, that's where all the shit is coming from, all the all the bad fifis. Like when you pulled that when you pulled that plate off, like even though I'm suppressed, like something came through. Why don't you guys point all of your instrumentation at that? And so. They scan it, and uh, Jordy like turns on the X-ray beam, and there are there's like a skeleton in 
the wall, like baked into the wall. It's the same beam that they use to detect the the warp bugs yeah. that were stuck to them, those parasites. Like, this is basically the Dateline NBC <laughs> UV spectrum flashlight that they and have. It's the woods light with the UV filter. You do not want to point that at a hotel room remote control bin. <laughs> you and I just spent a lot of nights in hotel rooms and... Uh... And I was glad I didn't have one of those with me because I feel like the temptation is to use it, but I feel like you're happier if you don't know, you know? You ever smell a remote in a hotel room? You don't want to do that. I don't know why I would smell something that is inside my asshole, Adam. <laughs> you're not nearly that flexible. No. Um, they uh, So they, they're like, they get these bones. You were going to tell me a hotel room story, Ben. I, I was going to recall the hotel that we stayed at that had IV services. Like they, they would send somebody to your room to give you an IV bag to make your hangover go away. Which did not turn me off enough to not want to try it. Like I was oddly curious yeah. about that. I just don't want a hotel putting something directly into my veins. Can you think of a less sterile environment than a shared hotel room? <laughs> like, we're talking about remotes being put in assholes. Like, you're getting an IV put in next to that remote. Right. Yeah, like, the you just picture the technician coming in and, like, moving the remote to the side the, so that they can, like, put their put their wares out on the, on the thing. And in that contact, you know, <laughs> they, like, they shift the Gideon's Bible and the remote out of the way. And in that contact, they've just... They've just put some unspeakable shit onto their fingertips. Good. Yeah. <laughs> I I can't imagine. There was like 10 different things on that menu, too. A cocktail of IV treatments, depending on your needs. Yeah. If, if it hadn't been $300, maybe I would have been tempted, but it was $300. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a great expense. That's there for, for a, rock stars, right? Those those IVs are for people who didn't have to rent a car spontaneously and drive six hours to Toronto <laughs> and Cleveland. Yeah. Cleveland Hotel notably did not have the IV <laughs> IV thing yeah. on offer. Not a big market no. in the Cleveland hotel room. <laughs> Seems like people are a little bit better behaved over there. Well, anyways, Troy and and Worf are off to a bit a bit of a rocky start in their relationship because Troy has like spotted Worf like hanging out a little bit a little bit extra with Ensign Calloway, the fetching young lady that uh, Lieutenant Quan left behind, and uh, she's like pretty openly jealous of the fact that Worf and Ensign Calloway have like done some computer together. And so they, like, hop on a turbo lift at one point, and she's like... Do you regret what happened last night? And Worf is like... Of course not. There seems to be a bit of, like, grief continuity erroring happening with Calloway because, like, she just lost her boyfriend in an awful way, and yet outside of the one scene in the beginning where she's told, she seems great afterwards. And I'm not going to, like, question the way that people process their grief in situations like this, but her grief is never addressed again. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, what you have to kind of take into account is that 
this actress was on set and she was like, listen, I'm really like trying hard to prepare for my role and I killed my lesbian <laughs> wife, hung her on a meat hook and now I have a three picture deal at Disney. So like if I could like have a character that is a little bit less emotionally fraught than that, that'd be great. I really need a break. <laughs> so they've they've narrowed it down to uh to Ensign Drake as the as the suspect and Worf is going to go, like, put the screws to him. And Troy goes back to her room, and she's like, you know, she's about to, like, replicate herself up some chocolate or something. And he walks in, and he's like, Lieutenant Worf said he wanted to talk to me about something. And she's like, what are you doing here? <laughs> and uh, and he, she feels really unsafe, so she calls security down. And they come down, and he's like, I don't get what the, like, what's, what's the big whoop? Tr- Worf said you wanted to talk to me about something? Like... This is this is super weird. And uh she like tells security to take him away and she's like trying to get in touch with Worf and Worf is not picking up and the computer tells her that Worf is in uh Ensign Calloway's quarters. So she goes down there, opens the door and in a direct reference to the uh two people making out and laughing at that we saw earlier. Worf and Ensign Calloway are in there making out, and they turn and see Troy, and they start laughing right at her. Laughing in her face. (laughs) Worf is a real dog. Worf is also a great laugher, and we get so few Worf laughs in this series, but when he really cuts loose, it is a joy. It's like like Jaws, you know? Like, it really has impact when it it pops out. (laughs) (laughs) She grabs a dustbuster and she fucking wastes him, man. The dustbuster that I guess was just out, <laughs> out on a table. Yeah, Edson Galloway was like in the midst of cleaning her gun when Worf came over for <laughs> for a makeout sesh. <laughs> and good for Counselor Troy, like uh, center massing Worf, <laughs> taking him down. Yeah, she is horrified at what she's done. She has immediate. Regret about murdering Worf. Many regrets. Yeah. She definitely holds the phaser like she's not used to gadding people. Yeah. You know, she she holds it like a like a grandma holds a TV remote. Do you think phasers for seniors have larger buttons? <laughs> like those phones? Yeah. Glow in the dark, everything. Yeah. Yeah, Troy like stumbles out into the hallway horrified at what she's done and she's like she's like running and she's like she's like about to go around a corner when the security detail is walking Private Drake uh and she like bumps right into him and just just emotionless he says, You know what you've gotta do which is a phrase that uh Lieutenant Kwong said right before he jumped into the plasma. Yeah. So uh, we find her like at the ledge with uh, third eye blind playing in the background, looking out over the over the plasma nacelle, and uh, she's saying to herself, she knows what she has to do as she like weeps and contemplates her impending death when she gets grabbed. Worf for the win. Yeah. Reaches in and pulls her away, and it turns out 
All of this has happened in the span of a couple of seconds. Like, a spell has been broken. Yeah, the first time she went up on that catwalk and had that personal banger dropped on her, that was the last time we were in reality. This has all been happening in Troy's head. She is a puddle in Worf's arms. She is a... She is relieved and horrified at how how close she came to ending her life. There's a spiral of emotions in her that that I think she acts the shit out of. Yeah. It's heavy. It also makes me think that like Riker could have saved Lieutenant Quan from this fate if uh he had just grabbed him, you know? <laughs> I thought the same thing. He was right there. He just needed to snap out of it. He, instead, he was like fumble fucking around with a with an old car disc man and speaker system, <laughs> like trying to hold that uh, like, boombox up over his head. You know, if you put the CD in like on that little platter thing and it doesn't like connect all the way, it'll yeah. like start scratching inside, and you got to open it up and press it back down firmly. Yeah, you don't have to replace that CD just because you didn't seat it properly in the in the disc yeah. changer. Uh, so what Troy's extendo hallucination has revealed and what is corroborated by Geordi going down and scanning the bulkhead is that there was, in fact, a murder involving Private Drake at Utosia, Utopia Planitia, but it was a murder-suicide. He killed a couple that uh, left him feeling an unrequited love and then jumped into the plasma stream himself. He had a dab of betazoid in him. And when he jumped into the plasma stream, the, like, subspace something-something knocked a bunch of his neural atoms into the bulkhead, and they left, like, an empathic echo that was uh, perceptible to Lieutenant Quan because of his alien heritage and to Troy because of her Betazoid heritage. This is a really interesting variation of ghost mythology to me. Mm. You know, like the idea of when when people die, they turn into spirits that can then be then that then have feelings that can be felt by the living. Like this seems like what that is. And it made me think like on a planet full of empaths like Beta Z, like how many deaths occur on that planet that could cast off these sort of after images? Like I wonder if if the Betazoid homeworld is a profoundly haunted place for that reason. <laughs> yeah. You got you to gotta, uh, make sure that people do not commit suicide via subspace methods. Right. Yeah. But as far as canon goes, really interesting, I thought. It also sort of uh, illuminates something I've always wondered about Troy's abilities, which is that they have something to do with subspace. Like... You know, yeah. she's always able to kind of like get something off of people on the view screen. And I'm always like, mm -hmm. how the fuck is that possible if they're like, if it's just, but it's all, it's, they use subspace to communicate. So if, if the empathic abilities are somewhat based on something going on in subspace, I guess that sort of, sort of, you know, completes that circle. Yeah, that makes sense. Here's an interesting bit of trivia. It says, During Deanna's protracted hallucination, there are no exterior shots of the entrepreneur. This is a common method used in the show when the storyline is false or in someone's mind. Interesting. 
Wow. Yeah, I never knew I that. am glad I didn't know that bit of trivia before watching the series this time, because I would have looked out for it. Yeah. It would have ruined the fun. I love that they were thoughtful enough about about production and editing that this was a thing that they observed. Like, we make fun of a lot of the rules of this show, but... That's some pretty next-level shit. Yeah. Did you like this episode, Adam? I really did. A lot. This is an especially science fiction-y episode while also being totally human and emotional. Yeah. And uh, it was a great combination of the two. Um, I thought this was a great bottle send-off for Marina Sirtis slash Deanna Troy. If this is if this is her last episode where she is the focus, I thought she did great in it. Um, yeah, I really, I think this is one of the high points of season seven. Yeah, what a, about you? It was a solid app. Uh, I liked it a lot too. Um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was fun to see, uh, Private Drake in there. It was fun to have kind of a, like a procedural where it's not a murder investigation, but a suicide investigation. Like, I feel like that mm-hmm. is an interesting a, a uniquely interesting problem in this environment because it is so much not something a Starfleet would do. Yeah, yeah. And so like they like that sort of pervades the their feelings about everything as they go through the episode. Yeah, just a different tone and feeling throughout for that reason. Adam, should we uh, check in on our P1 inbox see if there's anything in there? Yeah, let's do that. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, we have a priority one message here from Jeff or Joff in Washington, D.C. Uh, for Keenan in Montreal. Goes like this kind of crazy Canuck leaves the Risa that is Montreal boards the 13 hour train to DC and spends his birthday in the orange space butthole capital of Trumpistan <laughs> just so he can take in the premature assimilation spectacular with his buddy thanks man Whoa. this is for your birthday for being my friend for 25 years and for showing me this podcast whoa Ben, I think one of the most surprising elements of the tour were the people who came up with us after the show and said, yeah, uh, I flew in from England, <laughs> or I took a 13-hour train ride from Montreal. Amazing. Like, I was blown away by the distances that people came to see the shows on the tour. Like, I still don't believe that. <laughs> That's so cool. Uh, yeah. Well, happy birthday, Keenan. Uh, it looks like we missed uh, his birthday by a bit. His, his birthday was actually the 25th, which I believe was the night of that show. Cool. Oh, no, the 27th. Sorry. I'm looking I'm looking at the wrong thing. But uh, yeah. happy birthday. Yeah, happy birthday. Ben, our second Priority One message is from Dan. It is for Kathy goes like this. Happy anniversary, Kathy. I'm more in love with you now than ever. Even though you made me watch Move Along Home from Deep Space Nine, (laughs) I'm yours forever. You're so generous, curious, and loving. Here's to many more years of a relationship. Nothing like O'Brien and Caicos. (laughs) 
I love you. And uh, they're celebrating their anniversary on September 3rd. So we will, uh, this episode will have dropped a couple of days after that, but uh, it is with no less feeling that we wish Dan and Kathy a a very happy anniversary. Indeed. Uh, If you have a anniversary pronouncement or uh, any other celebratory message to send to a friend or a lover, uh, go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron where personal messages are $100 and commercial messages are $200, both of which are a great way to support the ongoing production of this show. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! I'm going to give it to uh, Lieutenant Kwan. Um, Not for something he does, but for something somebody uh, says about him which is that he was really psyched to get stationed in the port nacelle. (laughs) (laughs) Team port. (laughs) Like that seems like the Siberia of the ship to me. (laughs) I can't imagine being like, yeah, I'm in the nacelle, baby. I do a lot of video work for like factory type labor. Yeah. And, uh, in these large factories, there are teams of people who do, you know, the same thing over and over again. It's a production line. And the degree to which people form their own teams and their mascots and their logos is like a real thing. Like I shot some team members who called themselves the wing nuts, <laughs> like after the fastener, you know, yeah. like that's a thing. And it's easy to do when you're in a workplace like this. And I think in a pseudo-military context like uh, Starfleet, I think uh, Team Left Nacelle has got to be a thing, right? Yeah, it's just him and the lady that uh, that has all the weird loaf on her face. Those right Nacelle assholes don't know what's happening at all. <laughs> team Left. We, we beat him in the uh, intramural basketball tournament every year. <laughs> it's what we do. We're Left Nacelle. <laughs> How about you, Adam? Did you have a drunk Shimoda? Yeah, I, I'm going to give mine to Data purely for the uh, the I considered suicide story early on in the ep, which just felt so out of place, but also in place in the context of Star Trek as a series. Like, I know they have to turn to camera and make these pronouncements, yeah, but... It is so awkward when they make the attempt. (laughs) And so, God, man, there was like four seasons between Drugs Are Bad and this, and they seem to have learned nothing (laughs) from the ham-handedness of how that was handled previously. So, I mean, it's not Brent Spiner's fault. It's just like, it's too bad that there has to be this moment in an episode that doesn't need it. That's just it. You don't need this scene to actually underscore what's happening you can respect the viewer enough to understand the true stakes here so i'm going to give mine to data and that scene more generally right on boy do i love a microdose gummy from lumi labs i'm uh, i'm running low so i'm gonna head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. 
And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. What do we have coming up on the next step, Ben? Next episode is Season 7, Episode 19. Genesis. Picard and Data return to the Enterprise to discover the entire crew has de-evolved into prehistoric beings. Do you remember this episode, Adam? Ben, it's been a long, long time since I've seen this episode, but I remember really liking it. I'm excited. You get your fishy Troy, you get your your spidery Barkley, you get your like bear-like wharf. You get your uh, your Cro-Magnon Riker. 
like it doesn't take much to Cro Magnon Riker, really. It's like it's like maybe a bit of forehead loaf, but other than that, he's like he's ready. He's pretty much Cro he's stock Cro Magnon. <laughs> I'm pumped to see this app. It's been a long time. Yeah, me too. Something else that we're pumped for at the end of every ep is checking in with our online communities. Yeah. Uh, they're over on Facebook and Twitter using the hashtag greatest gen. I'm on Twitter as at cut for time. Ben is there as at Benjamin R A H R. Sure. I am. Um, you can also check out the Wikia, which has lots of, uh, lots of, uh, great archeological insight into where our dumb jokes come from. And also, uh, check out the Facebook and the Reddit. We should thank Adam Ragusia for a lot of the custom music you hear on the program and Dark Materia for our theme song. And with that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. And an episode of The Greatest Generation that is uh, even less evolved than this, which uh, I wouldn't have thought <laughs> possible. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.